Well, good morning. My name is Travis. I'm the campus pastor at New Life Church in Wilsonville, and I'm very glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Every time of every year around this time, as we finish the Psalms for summer and make our way into the fall, uh, we take some time to uh, preach a short series on what does it mean to be a part of New Life Church. And very often we will uh, spend some time on our mission uh, to engage those disconnected from God so that they may delight in Him through Jesus. Or sometimes we will focus on our core values, that uh, we need the gospel, we live life together, uh, we are missionaries, and we serve as a team. And you will hear uh, echoes of those things throughout this series, but uh, this, this series, this year, we decided to focus on uh, our membership covenant. And so, uh, when somebody officially becomes a part of New Life Church, they make a covenant with the rest of the church. It's our, our membership covenant. Now, a covenant is just um, a commitment, uh, a promise to a commitment of relationship. We, we are going to have a relationship with one another. We are committed to that, and so we make a covenant with one another, saying, yes, I am committed to a relationship with you. And you, when you come into our church, um, you'll make that commitment, and you'll not make that to an organization somewhere or to this building, but rather each member is making that commitment to one another. So we all, as members of this church, make that covenant with one another. Now, if you are here this morning and you're not a member of New Life Church, you are welcome here. You're welcome to come and join with us on Sunday mornings to worship here. You're welcome to uh, join us online and worship with us online. You're welcome to participate in the ministries here, in life groups here. Um, But if you have identified, you know, these are my people, this is my tribe This is a place where I really want to be, and I want to be committed to this group of people and know that they are committed to me, then I would invite you into church membership. I would invite you to uh, make a commitment and say, yes, I I am committed to this place. And this, let me just give you a quick summary of our church membership covenant. We promise, by God's grace and through the indwelling presence of His Spirit— to live lives in keeping with the truth of the gospel, to care for and promote both the purposes and unity of God's church, to commit ourselves in tangible relationships and small group communities, and to, and to passionately participate in God's kingdom-bringing mission. Now, those of you who have, uh, are familiar with the church covenant go, hang on, you missed a bunch of details in there. And that's true. I skipped over a bunch of details in there because that's what this whole sermon series is about. This sermon series is about diving into the details. And so a couple of weeks ago, Pastor John uh, preached a message and he was talking about living lives in keeping with the truth of the gospel. And what does that look like? And then Pastor Scott talked about um, caring for and promoting the purposes and unity of God's church. And now this morning, I get to focus on this one that we will commit ourselves in tangible relationships and small group communities to fulfilling the one another commands found throughout the New Testament. That we will commit ourselves into relationship with one another in small group communities. Officially, the way that we do that is through life groups, but maybe you'll have uh, something that's a little uh, less formal than that. But we'll be committed to small group relationships with one another uh, so that we can fulfill the one another commands found throughout the New Testament. 
Now, in our uh, membership covenant, there's all of these parentheses that have all of the Scripture references for each of these bullet points so that you know why we put that in our church covenant or in our membership covenant. But in, in my bullet point, it just says, found throughout the New Testament. And the reason for that is you can turn to just about any page in the New Testament and find evidence for why we have to be in committed relationships with one another. But the passage that we are focusing on this morning is going to be Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be uh, looking at verse 12, but I want to uh, start by setting that up because verse 12 starts this way, put on then, put on then, it's building off of something else. And so I want to back up to, um, back up to verse 1 and just say, what are we building off of? So in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3, it says this, if then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." When Paul is writing to this church at Colossae, what he's saying is, look, if you are Christians, then focus your eyes, focus your minds, focus your hearts on the things that are above. That's where Christ is. You see, we believe that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again from the dead, and now he reigns in heaven on high with God the Father. And so if He is there and that is our hope, then we should set our minds on Him. We should focus our minds on Jesus, where He is, the things that are above and not the things that are on earth, not the things here. Right? As, as we look around us here, the things that are, are here are the things that distract us from God. They're the things that worry us needlessly. They're the things that, that lead us astray to tempt after those things rather than focusing on the worship of God. And so, he says, instead, set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth because you have died. This is what we believe as Christians. We have died to sin. We have died to our old way of living. When Jesus died and was buried, we spiritually were buried with him. That, that is that our old selves were buried with him. And when he was raised, we then are raised with him to a brand new kind of life. If you are a Christian, your sins are forgiven and you get to live a totally different kind of life because your life is united with Jesus. Therefore, let's set our minds on the things that are above so that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with Him in glory. Now, that's the setup for this. Okay, that's just the setup. If that's the setup, what else do we get into, right? How great can this get? Well, here's what he says now. If that's true, if we're setting our minds on the things that are above, then this is what we are going to do. We are going to put on then, this is verse 12 of, of Colossians chapter 3, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We're going to put on those characteristics 
as if they were clothes or something, right? You're going you're gonna to put them on. So some of you get up in the morning and you look at your closet and you say, hmm, what am I going to wear today? Now, some of you don't think very hard about that. You get up, you open the closet, you reach in, you grab something, you put it on, good enough, let's go. But others of you, you open the closet and you start going, hmm, how do I want to express myself today? And you start selecting, how do you want to express yourself today? How do you want to represent yourself? What do you want to put on today? And so as I look through my closet, and I'm trying to decide what am I going to put on today, what am, how am I going to represent myself today, I might say, hmm, do I feel like being a dad today? I mean, I'm always a dad, but do I want to look like it? Maybe I'll put on my dad t-shirt today. Maybe, maybe today, maybe today's Sunday, I'm going to put on my pastor uniform today. I'm going to present myself, express myself as a pastor today. Maybe I'm feeling kind of like energetic and sporty. Maybe I want to put on something that, that represents basketball. That's how I want to express myself today. Maybe you want to express yourself as, as an artist. Maybe you want to, to express yourself as, as somebody who's uh, getting ready to do some kind of work, and so you put on the kinds of clothes that say, I'm going to get to work today. But how do you want to express yourselves? He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Put on then How? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As you're thinking about how do you want to express yourself today, and you look into the mirror, this is what Paul says you should think of. I have been chosen by God. I have been chosen by God. And because I have been chosen by God, He has made me to be holy. He has removed my sin. He has set me apart for holy and specific purposes in the worship of Him. He loves me. I am beloved by God. Put on, therefore, as God's chosen ones, those who are holy and loved by Him. As you're looking in the mirror in the morning and you're thinking, how do I want to express myself today? This is what you're to think. I am chosen by God, I am holy, and I am loved. Can we say that together? I am chosen by God, I am holy, and I am loved. One more time. I am chosen by God, I am holy, and I am loved. In the morning when you get up and you look in the mirror, that's what you're going to say to yourself, I am chosen by God, I am holy, and I am loved, and that is how I'm going to express myself today. You see, when we're picking out clothes and we're deciding what we're going to put on and how we express ourselves, this is the thing that should be top of mind We belong to Him. Our life is hidden with Christ above. And when His great glory and glorious day appears, our glory will be revealed with Him because our life is hidden with Him. Isn't that phenomenal? Therefore, we get to express ourselves in this way, with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, and patience. Now, Pastor John has already talked to some about what it means to live a life in keeping with the gospel, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time diving into these. I just want to highlight, isn't this the kind of person you want to be known as? One who has a compassionate heart, one who is kind, one who is humble and meek and patient. Isn't that the kind of person that you want to be known as, that you would like to be? Isn't that the kind of person you want to hang out with? This is the kind of person I delight to hang out with. I love to hang out with people like this, people who are compassionate, people who are humble, people who are patient. I love to hang out with them. It is so fun to hang out with people like that. It's way more fun to hang out with people like that than people who are proud and self-centered and rude and arrogant. Right? If, if I have, on the one hand, patient and kind and compassionate, and on the other hand, I have um, rude and self-centered and arrogant, and I think, okay, which of these two people do I want to hang out with today? Well, that's a tough choice. I think I'm going to take this one. <laughs> I think I'm going to take this one. Th this is the kind of person that I want to hang out with. But what does it actually look like? Right? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, they're compassionate, they're kind, they're humble, they're meek, they're patient. It's one thing to say that. What does that actually look like? What does it look like? Verse 13. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You see, which of those previous things were you able to do by yourself? Were you able to be humble all by yourself? Were you able to be compassionate or kind or patient all by yourself? I find I'm most patient when I'm all by myself. I used to think, in fact, that I was a patient person, and then I had kids. <laughs> and I found that I was not nearly as patient as I thought I was. Why is that? It hadn't been tested. My patience had not yet been tested. My humility and my compassion had not yet been tested. We don't know that those things are really there until we have to use them. Guess what? I'm going to tell you a secret. Here in the church, we get to use them. We get to be these kinds of people who are compassionate and kind and patient, and we get to practice that on one another by bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. There's a selling point for a church, isn't there? You should come to my church. We get to bear with one another. We get to forgive one another when we sin against each other. 
We, we want, right, when it goes on then it says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I go, oh yes, now that is the church I want. That kind of church that is bound together in love and perfect harmony. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. And so you walk in and you go, does this church have love and perfect harmony? No. They're bearing with one another in here. You see, I think too often people want to walk into a church and they want to find people like me, right? I want to find people like me. I want to be so much like the people that are here and have the people that are here be so much like me that we just live in harmony because there's no division between us. And the reality is, that's not how it works. The reality is that there are differences between us, and we bear with one another, we put up with one another, we forgive one another, we ask for forgiveness from one another, because we are close enough together that we start stepping on each other's toes. And when you're living life on life, it's going to get rough. Have you ever noticed that, that you, you've maybe had a roommate that was a friend before they were a roommate, and you were really good friends, and you really liked being friends with them, and then you became roommates, and you went, a little too much. A little too much of you. I'm going to need some space. That's how it can feel in the church sometimes. We get a little too close and you go, oh, hang on, I liked you really well for an hour on Sunday morning when you were sitting over there and I was sitting over there and we were both smiling and wearing our best clothes. But now when I see you on a Tuesday evening after work, I'm not so sure I want to hang out with you. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. I've seen the kind of community before, though, where people do bear with one another, where they are living that life on life, and they delight in it. Because they know, these are my people, and if I need something, my people are here to support me. My people are here to help me. I've seen people cry when they had to move away because they knew how much they were going to miss the community of New Life Church. I've seen people cry tears of joy when they were able to move back and rejoin and say, yes, I'm back with my people. This is a group that I know loves me because they have borne with me in difficult times. They have been patient with me. They have loved me. They are compassionate and kind. I love this people. I, I have in my house um, some budding musicians. And one of the things that I both love and loathe is to hear people say, wow, your family is so musical. And I love to hear that because I love to hear that they're making progress. And I loathe to hear it because it sounds like, wow, it is just an innate gift. What a blessing that your family is so musical. Do you know what it means for your family to be so musical? 
It is hours and hours and hours of out-of-tune practicing and tears on the instrument in my house so that they can play for you for two minutes this piece that they have been preparing, and you can say, wow, what a gift. And I will be in the next room going, it goes like this. I know, Dad. I know how it goes. I just can't do it. Okay. And we bear with one another. And we're patient with one another. And after a little while, the skill increases and they are able to play some things that sound nice. And they start to think, you know what? I'm a pretty decent musician. And we put them together with someone else and we start the whole process over again. Because they thought that they could play this piece and the other person thought they could play this piece. And they went, hey, I play this piece, you play this piece, let's play it together. Great! And they start playing and they go, wait a second, what key are you playing in? What tempo are you using? You see, I could play it all by myself, but I couldn't play with somebody else yet until we practice together. And once we start practicing together, then we find, oh, okay, now we're both in the same key, now we're mostly in tune, now we're both using the same rhythm and staying on rhythm, and it starts to sound pretty good, and we can add somebody else in. And we can add somebody else in, and you can move to a, from a duet to a trio to a quartet, maybe to a small group chamber orchestra or something like that, maybe to a great big symphony, and you start to get everybody together and all on the same page, and you go, oh, that sounds beautiful. That sounds beautiful. But it doesn't sound beautiful because all of the musicians are playing exactly the same notes at exactly the same pitch at exactly the same time. It sounds beautiful because they are playing in harmony, which means all of the notes are at exact intervals from one another. And this one is playing a third, and that one's playing a fifth, and that one's playing a seventh, and then they're playing different things at different times. And it all starts to weave together, and you go, this is fantastic. I love to hear what this sounds like. I love to hear the music that is played by this group, and that is what I want for this church. That when people walk in, it is not that everyone is exactly the same, playing exactly the same thing at exactly the same time, but rather that there is these perfect intervals that everyone is playing in harmony with one another, and you go, Listen to the conversations in this place. This place just sings. How lovely is this place that these people are living lives in worship to God. This is fantastic. But it's going to take those times of forgiveness and restoration, right? It's going to take those times when we rub up against somebody and go, oh, whew, okay, um, not how the tune goes. You're, you're, you're a little pitchy there. Because sometimes we get a little bit flat and sometimes we get a little sharp with one another. And so we have to smooth those things out and we have to work together to get them on pitch so that we can start to work together. And we, okay, in my life group, we might talk with you and say, okay, hey, hey, um, 
So I heard you say this, and I think you caused some offense. I, I think you need to repent and ask for forgiveness. Or somebody else is all hot and bothered, and okay, okay. We're going to be patient. We're going to be compassionate. We're going to extend forgiveness. These are not fun things to work through. But that's what practicing is, right? That's why musicians practice. It's so that they can get those things dialed in. It's what we do all the time. We do it some here on Sunday morning, but for real, we do it in life groups. We do it in small groups when we get together. That's where the real life on life happens. That's where the real patience and compassionate hearts happens. That's where the real humility and meekness happen. As we walk alongside one another and we figure it out and we help each other figure it out. And we're not there yet. But we're getting there. In verse 15, he goes on and says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You see, we're not going to be able to do it by ourselves. If you think that you can come in to this church and live in this community and you are going to be humble enough and compassionate enough and patient enough and meek enough in this place all by yourself on your own strength, you are mistaken. We're going to need more from you than that. How is it going to happen? It's when the peace of Christ rules in your heart. It's when the peace of Christ rules in your heart. That's when you can find that humility and patience and compassion. Because otherwise, I'm too stirred up. My fuse is too short. I can't put up with you enough until I find the peace of Christ that's ruling in my heart. <sighs> okay. As the Lord has forgiven me, so also I must forgive. And on occasion, somebody has to forgive me too. I hope that's not frequent. I should rephrase that. I wish that wasn't as frequent as it is. But it's what's required. And when the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, when each of us is living our lives for him, when our minds and eyes and hearts are focused on Jesus, then the peace of Christ rules in our hearts and we are able to live compassionately with one another. We're able to get there. We're able to do that. Again, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. If we're going to have the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and you're saying, Travis, I'm just not feeling that peace right now. Okay, next step, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let's open up God's word. We can do it together. You can do it on your own. Let's bring our burdens before the Lord. We'll pray and we'll, we'll cast our burdens on the Lord and we'll soak in His Word and then we'll have that peace of Christ rule in our hearts so that we can bear with one another again. 
Do you feel like you have it all together already? Like you've got it all figured out? Do you feel like, though, that the church should have it all figured out? Yeah, I know I haven't got it all together yet, but this is the church, and people are supposed to have it figured out here. And so I would really like to walk into this place and have everybody here have this figured out, that the peace of Christ is ruling in their hearts, and they can live with me compassionately and humbly and patiently, and that they can bear with me. That, that's what I want from the church. But sometimes we're not there. Sometimes the church isn't there. Sometimes we're not there as individuals and we need somebody to get us back on. We need a conductor. We need the Holy Spirit. We need another Christian speaking into our lives saying, hey, let's move back this way and get back on track. I I was reading a book earlier this year. It's called uh, Boys in the Boat by Daniel James Brown. And Boys in the Boat is a book about the University of Washington rowing team as they are trying to make the Olympics. And I want to read a quote from this book. Joe is one of the main characters. He's one of the rowers, and he's talking with a coach about some struggles that he's having. And here's here's what the coach says. He suggested that Joe think of a well-rowed race as a symphony and himself as just one player in the orchestra. If one fellow in an orchestra was playing out of tune or playing at a different tempo, the whole piece would naturally be ruined. That's the way it was with rowing. What mattered more than how hard a man rowed was how well everything he did in the boat harmonized with what the other fellows were doing. And a man couldn't harmonize with his crewmates unless he opened his heart to them. He had to care about his crew. These rowers were in this boat, and they were trying to row together. I, I don't know if you watched uh, the Olympics at all this summer as, as they were rowing in, in, in boats, and sometimes you've got a team of six or eight uh, people that are all rowing together, and, and they, they all have to row, and when they're rowing, they have to row exactly the right way, right? The, the stroke has to be even. The pull has to be even. The blade has to enter the water at the right angle. It has to go through the water at the right speed. It has to come out of the water at the right angle, and then the whole thing does it again. As fast as you can, as hard as you can, in perfect sync with everyone else. Because if your blade goes into the water at a wrong angle or something, and it makes this big splash, they call that catching a crab. So they're rowing along, and then splash, and one guy catches a crab. And if one rower catches one crab in a race, it can ruin the whole race. The whole boat slows down, and the coxswain sitting in the front who's going, row, row, stroke, stroke, has to try and get everybody back on rhythm again so that they can all try and get back going again all together. But when all of those rowers are rowing in perfect sync, when all of them are putting all of their weight in and everything is just working exactly as it should, everything, the rhythm just going back and forth, it, they call that finding their swing. Wow, they found their swing. And when that happens, the boat just glides across the surface of the water. And it's something that's beautiful to watch. Sometimes, here's what I find. 
I find that people will step into a church like they step into a boat. And they step into the church and they grab an oar and they splash it around a little bit and they go, there's no swing in this boat. I want a boat with swing. Somebody find me a boat with swing. And then they go and they look for a boat with swing. But that's not how it works. The rowers have to find swing together. They have to work together and figure out how they row and then how they row with everyone else so that it all works together and everything, everybody is doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing at exactly the same time. That takes time. It takes effort. It takes compassion. It takes humility. It takes patience with one another. But when we work that out with one another, we can do that. We can find our swing together. And then it's beautiful. Then it's the kind of powerful community that other people see and go, wait, you have what? You have a group of people who cares about you and loves you and prays for you? You have a group of people who comes alongside you and lifts you up when you're struggling? You have a people that together sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God? I want that. But it doesn't come from us all being the same and not having any divisions. It comes from that hard work of working with one another and bearing with one another. It comes through the struggle. The beauty comes through the struggle. And so there are times when you might be struggling and you might feel like, I just, I have to step back right now. I got to step out of life group for a while because my life is just too hectic. I've got too much going on. I've got, I'm just struggling. And so I'm going to need some space because I can't do life group right now. Time out. That's the time to press in. That's the time to press in. That's the time to press in and allow the people in your group to bear with you, to support you. And maybe you're in a life group and you see somebody that's starting to pull away and you, you, that's your opportunity to press in. And maybe you notice what's going on with them and you go, they need a note of encouragement today. And so you write a note and you send them a note of encouragement. You tell them, I'm praying for you. Can, how can I pray for you? Maybe it's something more tangible. Maybe you go, look, I, I know what's going on with you right now. Can I bring you dinner tonight? So that at least you don't have to think about what you're going to eat tonight. Can I just bring you a meal? Can I take your kids so that uh, you can have a little bit of space to get some things done? Can I, can I help you in that way? Can I roll up my sleeves and help you with this project that I know is overwhelming you, but we can get it done together? Can I help you? You see, when we really want that kind of community that sings, that we just love to be a part of, it's going to take that kind of effort. We've got to press in and help, with one, help one another, and we have to allow others to help us. We can't go into just self-preservation mode and go, i got to take care of me right now. I'll be back when I've got margin for you guys. Allow them to help. It may not look pretty, but we're working on it, and it will. 
it will be beautiful, but it comes out of that chaos of life that then the beauty comes. I want to read this one last quote for you from the book. Immediately after the race, even after he sat gasping for air in the boat as it drifted down beyond the finish line, an expansive sense of calm had enveloped him. In the last desperate few hundred meters of the race, in the searing pain and bewildering noise of that final furious sprint, there had come a singular moment when Joe realized with startling clarity that there was nothing, he, nothing more he could do to win the race beyond what he was already doing, except for one thing. He could finally abandon all doubt, trust absolutely without reservation that he and the boy in front of him and the boys behind him would all do precisely what they needed to, to do at precisely the instant they needed to do it. He had known in that instant there could be no hesitation, no shred of indecision. He had no choice but to throw himself into each stroke as if he were throwing himself off of a cliff and into a void with unquestioned faith that the others would be there to save him. This is true of an Olympic rower. This is true also of us. We have to trust one another. We will fail one another, and when that happens, we're going to bear with one another patiently and compassionately. But would you join us as we find our swing? Let's pray. Father, we know that these are not things that we can do on our own. We know that this is the kind of community that we long for, that people all around the world long for and cannot find because it must come from a supernatural power. It must come from the presence of the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I ask for that now. I ask that the, the people in this room the people who are hearing my voice now, the people that are focusing their eyes on you, I pray, Lord, that the word of Christ would dwell in them richly and that the peace of Christ would rule in their hearts, that they might express themselves in these ways, being humble and compassionate and patient, bearing with one another, and when necessary, forgiving one another as you have forgiven them. And I pray that all of this will be done for the glory of your name for now and into eternity. Amen.